0: so David yeah. Let's yeah. turn down the music <laughs> There's an abrupt stop oh.
1: It absolutely was. Welcome along everybody to another month, another webinar. My name is Ed McKnight. If you haven't met me before, I'm an economist here at Opus Partners. And in today's show, we are going to take you through our predictions and forecasts for the year ahead in property investment. And it is going to be a banger. We've got some (laughs) awesome predictions and forecasts that we've been working on for you.
0: What? That is going to be a banger, Andrew. Yeah, every every person that's listened to every webinar, I'm getting a bit of feedback there, David, uh, has heard you describe every event as a banger.
1: Well, it is a goodie. Now, just before we kick in, I just need to do a wee bit of housekeeping. Andrew, you need to change your microphone over to make sure that it's coming through the Roadcaster. Uh, it's currently coming through your MacBook and everybody at home make sure that when you are sending us questions, please make sure you're sending it to all panelists and attendees. Now I want to do a little bit of a test, an audio test. So can you put in the down in the chat what color jacket am I wearing? I want to know what color jacket am I wearing just to make sure that you can hear me okay and that that's going all good. Well, I'm glad that Gabriella enjoyed the music. I hear that I've got a rainbow, multicolour brown. I hear, I see a lot of them. So it sounds like the audio is going pretty, pretty well. Can you hear
0: just as a sound check? That's per- that's perfect. Oh, Thanks, Andrew. Nice, that's working nice. better. Yeah, that's better. because
1: nobody wants to hear hear Tenny Andrew. I believe it's because you're trying that- to
0: mute my mic.
1: I tell him to mute quite a bit, people. Now,
0: what I'm going to do now is
1: we're going to rip right into this because we have got a full presentation today. And the thing that's quite cool about this one is usually with the other webinars we do throughout the year, we dig into one specific topic. But tonight we get to go across the breadth of property investment and what we see coming up for the year ahead. Now, let's get into this. And I'm going to share my screen. Andrew, just Before I start rattling on, please confirm or deny that you can see my screen. I can see your screen. Perfect. So just a little bit of housekeeping. You are going to get the whole webinar for free. Any data we share, it will be available for you for free again on our website, opuspartners.co.nz. All Q and A polls and recordings, because this is being recorded, you get it all for free. Just so you know, we don't send out our slides or any source data. Now, please, please, please send your messages and your questions to both panelists and attendees. There are a couple of hundred of you online tonight, and what that means is that we are able to chat back and forth, and we can answer one another's questions, which is pretty cool. Now, if you haven't met us before, you might be thinking, why should I listen to these two guys? Well, first Obviously, down in our Christchurch studio, we have Andrew Nickel. He is a financial advisor and the host of the Property Academy podcast. He's a property investor, quite a prolific property investor with a substantial portfolio. And he is president of the Data Nerd Association. Meet I'm Ed McKnight, uh, up in my Auckland home office today. I'm looking forward to getting out uh, like every other Aucklander and moving out of the city. And at future webinars, I will be down in the Christchurch studio with Andrew. I also host the Property Academy podcast and Property Investor and the Vice President of the Data Nerd Association. Now, what we like to do for the December webinar. We like to have a bit of fun. And so we're gonna take you through the property investment calendar for 2022. And remember, it is available for $9.90 while stocks last. Just so everybody is aware that as a joke, we're not selling calendars with our faces on it though. Um, I think that maybe your mum might buy one and maybe my mum might buy one if I gave her $10 to buy do so. Buy one, she just be getting
0: now, one for Christmas.
1: Now, there are two things we're gonna go through. First of all, we are going to revisit. We're going to revisit our predictions from 2021, and then we are going to deep dive into our forecast for property investment in 2022. Now, just remember, if my internet has a wee spasm at one point, uh, I'm in my home studio, just like lots of you guys at home. So please, uh, please forgive me for that. Uh, Andrew's got really fast internet down in our office, so uh, he'll be able to take over if I have a wee hiatus at any point. So let's revisit. Let's go back in time and look at the predictions we made this time last year. The first prediction we made was about what would happen in February. We said interest in new builds would go into overdrive. And we were right, if I can say that. What you can see here is new dwelling consents per month, and it has been skyrocketing ever since uh, Ever since about 2020 once we first went into that lockdown. It has just been smashing it, especially with the government coming out in March this year and giving tax incentives for people to invest in new builds. We said for March, Adrian Orr would make some significant changes, and he did. He came out and reinstated LVRs much earlier than anybody predicted about two months earlier, and he put them up to 40%. We're now looking at debt-to-income ratios, and remember he even tightened high LVR lending or low deposit Deposit lending on first home buyers as well he's made some significant changes this year Adrian or the governor of the Reserve Bank we also said that interest rates would hit a record low in May well we were one month off because simplicity set a record low of 1.9% mortgage rate in June just one month after we predicted that would happen of course since then interest rates have started to rise since July We also said in August that there would be massive labor shortages in the residential construction sector, and that if you knew which direction to turn a screwdriver in, then, hey, you'd have a job. And, of course, in August, uh, In news hub reported that construction industry was warning that the government's agenda was at risk unless that worker shortage was solved. And my favorite prediction, my favorite prediction, because I thought it was quite clever, and you're probably all going to roll your eyes at it, that the government would tell councils to shovel it with the Resource Management Act reform set to free up land. And of course, in November, Auckland Council, the Mayor Phil Goff, has just come out and he's calling for changes to the government's Enabling Housing Supply Bill. And finally, uh, the one I want to talk about is what happened to house prices. And the reason I suppose we're going through last year's forecasts is simply to suggest, A, show some transparency and say, hey, look, we made some forecasts. How did they go? Can you believe the forecasts were going? And actually, to make ourselves feel better that our crystal balls or our tea leaves are somewhat (laughs) accurate, Andrew.
0: (laughs) I don't he doesn't know. know what to say there. The crystal balls is a weird comment, Ed. Uh, yeah, so so I'm going to go through these numbers, aren't I, Ed? Uh, so let's talk yeah. about. So so a, a year ago today, we were talking about Auckland at 1.2 going to 1.35. Actually, we're a bit conservative. It got to 1.4. Drum roll, please. Uh, Ed, you're going to click on the next one. Oh, there we go. Actual 1.4. Uh, Christchurch City was at, at 526. It seems crazy to even think that you've got a house for that now. Uh, forecast was 600. We're a bit conservative again. We're now at 679. Wellington, 876. We said a million. Conservative again, 1.1. And uh, Hamilton City, we said 750. And now we're at 829. So we were on the conservative side, but certainly uh, the trend was in the direction we were thinking.
1: And of course, uh, certainly, certainly, I was going to say as well, Andrew, it would be the first time anybody would have called us conservative. Uh, uh, what we're missing November, Ed. No, we didn't put November oh, in because I forgot we? what it was. Oh, it was about tourism. <laughs> it was about tourism. No, we
0: got it wrong, so we just deleted it. And uh, December was that we'd be back uh, for, for predictions for 2022, and we were right. Now we're going to talk about the forecast that we have for the property investment in 2022, starting out with January.
1: And of course, buy your calendar (laughs) at all good retailers.
0: (laughs) Text over to 268. Um, uh, And so we'll start out with uh, January. So last year we told you about Uncle Lester and his property predictions. So this is the guy at the barbecue, whether it's your uncle or not your uncle, and just the weird guy that's at your barbecue, telling you it's not a good time to buy. And I think the biggest thing is that you're going to watch out for anti-landlord propaganda because there's no news in January. Nothing happens in January, and so all that we're going to hear about in the newspapers will be negative stuff around property and 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 let uh, us bad landlords. Um, th- this was an article and uh, stuff, and it said garage sleepout listed for f- rent for four hundred dollars a week uh, to a couple in Carlton. Now. Uh, this this will not be a landlord i guarantee you this will actually be someone that's just renting out uh, their property that they're already renting a property and they're renting out their sleep out potentially or or uh, uh you know it'll be someone that owns a house and is renting out their sleep out and we've got to actually remember the story, there's no real story here. The The story is that someone wants to rent a sleepout and is happy to live in a sleepout for $400 a week to save money. So just be aware when you're reading these kind of click type things. Another one, Mega Landlord describes rot in the housing market. Uh, and actually, we, we did a podcast on that this week that will come out uh, later on this week, uh, talking about this particular article, I think it was. And um, yeah. Again, just remember, a lot of this bad news is just that. It's just clickbait uh, that'll, that'll drag you into a, a, whole, a whole world of thinking that you're a terrible person if you invest in property. So I guess the lesson, uh, the first lesson of today is just prepare yourself for some uncomfortable reading, spe- specifically if you're a landlord. Um, but, the, but the key thing is stay the course. Always stay the course.
1: Well, what I want to know, Andrew, is you know, you've been investing in property for almost 30 years now. And my question for you is almost do you 30 ever get worried? <laughs> on I, thought, <laughs> I thought you'd like that. It's closer to it's closer to 30 than zero. But do you do you ever get worried yourself about what's going on in the news? Do you read stuff and think, oh my gosh. I need to sell all my properties right now.
0: Uh, well, uh, yes. I, uh, there is always times that you just can't help but read stuff and, and, and think, oh God, is, is this all going to hell in a handbag? Um, it's a weird saying, isn't it? Um, but but uh, but no, I don't suddenly decide I want to sell all my properties. And I guess as as I get older, I know I'm not that old and I know that's what you're all thinking, but as time's gone on and I've got experience, certainly I don't panic anymore. Um, I remember, you know, in the GFC, reading articles that said, you know, house price is going to drop, you know, uh, going to halve. That was kind of probably the time that I was more inclined to panic a bit more than I do today. But but it is natural to read these articles and get a bit nervous. But again, stay the course.
1: So let's come across to February. After we've got through all of those housing related articles, because there's not much else going on in New Zealand at that time, February, First home buyers are going to be back out in force. So fresh from the holidays, they're going to be out and ready to buy. We have started to see first home buyers delay their purchases now and say, look, I'll come back to it after the Christmas break, after the new year period, and then they'll come back. And what I want to show you is this graph here of who's really buying the houses at the moment. Now, what this shows is the percentage of the market that is being taken up by either first home buyers, mortgaged investors, or movers. And what you can see here is that for the first time this year, We have started to see first home buyers really accelerating ahead of investors in the market. About 26%, 26% of properties purchased between July and September this year were purchased by first home buyers. They are part of the reason that the property market is staying buoyant, because you can see with the blue line, with investors, investors are starting to pull back a wee bit from the market. But first home buyers, are driving in there to take up those spots and purchase those properties. And so Interestingly, it's going to be the first home buyers that keep the property market buoyant. Now, I think this is a really good news story that first home buyers are really at that record high. And it is a record high. Look at it there. These records from CoreLogic have started in 2006, and there has never been such a high proportion of the property market being purchased by first home buyers. What a beautiful thing it is. And I think the really great thing that I hope you take away from this as you head into the December period and sit around the table with your family at Christmas is that actually, although home prices and property prices are very, very high, first home buyers are finding a way to take action and make it work. We've never had so many first home buyers active in the market. And so the takeaway that I want to give you here is that first home buyers are going to continue to push up and support house prices even as some property investors start to withdraw a little bit from that market and we're going to see first home buyers really come out in full force in February before some of the other stuff happens that we're going to tell you about but Andrew take us away for what's going to happen in March
0: so March we're talking about the credit crunch so government regulation is going to make it even harder and it already is to get a mortgage Uh, so that's already happening and so I guess the big thing for this year is there's been just the the politics around property. Yeah, there has definitely been
1: a change in the market where 2021 was the year of property politics. 2022 is going to be the year of the credit crunch. Now, What do we mean and what do we not mean by that, Andrew? So I
0: think um, a lot of uh, the kind of thoughts in the market is that, you know, the interest rates are going to be what drives the credit crunch. That's not the case. What it's really going to be about is the availability or the the lack of availability of credit. Uh, And and this is what, you know, caused the GFC. And so Tony Alexander... Uh, Big Tony, to those of you who are familiar with Ed's uh, terms for Tim. Tony, if you're watching. Papa so, Tony t- is what oh, I sorry. sometimes call it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's weird either way. It's um, <laughs> uh, just in a recent survey in December. And the major theme here is that people are, are worrying about the ability to get finance, you know, somewhat about falling prices, but more about the actual challenge around getting finance to actually settle a property. So you know, it doesn't matter if a property price drops in value. If you can't buy it, you can't buy it. And the interesting
1: thing here, Andrew, as well, is that look at the gray line, insufficient listings. So since these records began from kind of June 2020, you can see that insufficient listings, a lack of properties on the market was what real estate agents were saying that buyers of property were really worried about. They were worried that there weren't enough houses on the market. Look at that change. Now, of course, this is not reported from people buying properties, but it's reported from real estate agents. So just take it with a wee grain of salt. But certainly there appears to be a change where more people are worried about that difficulty of credit, of getting the money for a mortgage, as opposed to a lack of listing. So it signals a wee change in the market. You can see the buyers are already worrying about it. But Andrew, let me ask you this how is servicing changing or what is causing this credit crunch really if it's not interest rates
0: so so those of you who watched the last month's uh, webinar on the triple cfa and and uh, the debt to income ratio rules um, will know that the servicing side of getting a mortgage so the income versus expenses side of things is changing drastically so previously prior to the triple uh, cfa the way a bank would calculate uh, servicing would be rent say 460 a week, 2K a month, Uh, they'd use 75%, so 1.5K a month, so they shade it by 25%. Then they'll look at what your assessed mortgage payments were, let's call them a 625 mortgage, 3,600 a month. So you'd need to have a surplus income, a UMI, of $2,100. So you'd need to be able to cover that shortfall between the rent minus the shading, minus the minus the mortgage payment. So you need to have 2.1 thousand left over in your pay packet every month from your personal income to be able to top that up. Now, And can you just
1: explain, Andrew, for us as well, how are the banks, just for anybody who, it's the first time they're coming to one of these webinars tonight, how is the bank assessing those mortgage payments?
0: So mortgage payment, they always work on a principal and interest term. And those of you who have been investing for a while will probably know that most often, you'll have an interest-only mortgage for an investment property, but again, they're going to work on it as if you're paying principal and interest, and if you're applying for a 30-year loan, and then you're going to take the first, years, uh, first five years' interest only, then they'll assess it on a 25-year principal and interest term at a higher-than-normal interest rate, so they use what's called a test rate, so that could be 8% even if you're paying 3%, for example.
1: And what I just want to point out for anybody who's brand new to these webinars, it's the first time you've come tonight. This is how the bankers are looking at that property. Now, it doesn't mean that your property is going to be negatively geared by 2.1k per month. But what it's saying is. Based on the bank calculations, how much money do they need to see? How much free cash do they need to be able to assess that you've got? So if worse comes to worse, you'd be able to top that property up and you wouldn't be in the position where you're forced to sell it. Have I got that right, Andrew? Yeah, yeah,
0: that's right. So I, I guess they're using a much higher interest rate than what's expected uh, today. Uh, and obviously they've got their rental discounts. So they have these provisions in there because the last thing, about, the bank's not in the business of selling houses. They're in the business of giving you m- mortgages. But,
1: okay, so let's talk about what happens after the triple CFA. This is the new regulation of the Consumer Credit and Consumer Finance Act.
0: Yeah, so basically there are more expenses that are going to go into the calculation that they're going to use. So you can run your own return on investment calculator and work out that a property is positively geared, but. By the time you factor in all these extras, including the higher expenses, that shortfall from the bank's calculations basically means you need to have more UMI, uncommitted monthly income, to contribute towards your rentals on paper. So let's again say that we've got the same numbers before. The operating costs. Now banks are looking at things like the rates and the insurance for their rental property as well. So those were things that were considered to be uh, c- uh, calculated within that rental shading of 25%, for example. So now you've got another $420 a month, for example, that comes off your bottom line. And again, you've got your, your 3,600 worth of payments, uh, mortgage payments. So your uncommitted monthly income, you've got to have two and a half grand rather than 2.1. So again, there's an extra 420 a month in this example worth of personal income you need to be able to get an approval to buy that rental property, even if that property is positively geared in actual fact.
1: And I think the key thing I want to get across as well is what does this really mean? if this is the first time you've ever looked at this, what this is really saying is you need more income in order to be able to buy the same priced property. So in other words, servicing is getting tougher. It is meaning that you need even more income at either in order to be able to purchase properties. And then that's not the only thing that's changing though, in terms of the triple CFA, what about these personal expenses that are being more closely scrutinized? So
0: the bank will go through your bank statements line by line, and rather than come up with an arbitrary number like they used to where they'd say, okay, Two, two adults and two kids cost $2,500 a month to run. Now they're actually going to look through and see how much it costs your family to run. So if you've got Netflix gym memberships, um, an expensive wine club membership and you go out for dinner all the time, it's going to be more and more challenging for you to get money because the, the uncommitted monthly income that you've got based on the bank's calculations uh, is, is going to be far lower, uh, far lower than, than someone that maybe is saving a bit more money.
1: Well, what I want to do now is get a bit of a listener participation in here. And I'm going to put a poll across your screens. And I'm just going to fix this way, typo that I've obviously messed up.
0: I can afford Who it. Who do you
1: think, what sort of purchases do you think are going to be most impacted by this change? Do you think it's going to be first home buyers? Do you think it's going to be investors? Do you think it's going to be be uh, people purchasing new builds or people purchasing existing properties. Who do you think is going to be most impacted by these changes? It's not a trick
0: question. (laughs) Uh, You tricked me with it though, didn't you?
1: Well, I did, but I,
0: <laughs> but that's just what it is.
1: And I think <laughs> this is going to be really interesting because I can even see just from the few people coming in here, it's going to surprise most of you actually in terms of what we believe the answer is, in terms of who's really going to be impacted this by this and why. So I'll give it maybe another couple of seconds just to get to the maybe 500, Mark, if 500 of you have, have answered, then that's probably a good sign. Oh, Richard, and then we'll start to answer that.
0: Richard choose just reminded me of the auction for Ed's jacket. Well, we'll have to do that. I went to a fantastic charity event um, uh, the other week. I actually invited Ed along, but he said, no, there's nothing in it for me. Uh, but we, we, will, we will auction that off and give the money to the charity that I went to.
1: What I actually said, Andrew, is I'm legally not allowed to leave my city. <laughs> now I'm going to end that poll now for everybody, and I'm going to share the results. So, 41% of you think this is going to impact first home buyers the most. 33% say property investors. Only two percent say people purchasing new builds, and 140 of you, uh, 24%, say purchasing existing properties. Now this is really interesting because. While I think everybody will be impacted, the people who I think are going to be especially impacted are people purchasing new builds. Now, that could be a first home buyer or it could be an investor. But really what I, I think is people purchasing new builds. And I'll tell you the reason why. Now, the thing with new builds is that there's often a period between you going unconditional on a property you saying, yes, I'm actually going to buy this, signing the contract, you're unconditional, you're going to pay the money and you've paid your deposit. And there is a time frame between that date and when you settle to pay the money. And it could be 18 to 24 months. Now, what's the issue? Well, you can't get a 24-month pre-approval from a bank. And so what happens if you're purchasing a new build with a really long settlement like this is that there is a window... Of somewhere between three and 12 months, where you've got to reapply for the finance. And the real question is well, what happens if bank policies change in that first 12 months or 18 months where you're unconditional on the property, but you don't actually have finance approved? That's a really, really big question for people. And so the message here with things like the triple CFA, with things with finance getting even more difficult is that. If you are under contract for a new build, you need to be working really closely with your broker during that time, making sure that if they say yes at the start, that sweet, you're not taking on a whole heap of extra car debt or a whole heap of extra mortgage debt, whatever it happens to be, so that by the time you get to that position where you do need to settle on the property, that yes, you can actually still get, you can still get the money in order to be able to settle it. And actually, one thing that we're predicting for next year, and we'll come to this in a moment, is quite a bit of financial innovation. So with the banks tightening up, with there being a credit crunch, Businesses coming out and saying, "Well, what are some interesting or, or better ways of delivering finance? Could we have so that people are still able to go out?" And Andrew, I know there's something that you're thinking about that we want to take a wee poll on in order to be able to see wh- what people think. I'm just going to stop sharing my screen so you're able to tell us about it. Yeah. So
0: basically, uh, one of the one of the um, the new ideas that I've got for the for the new year, and I'm allowed to start new businesses in the new year because my disclaimer of not doing any more businesses this year will be will have lapsed um, in a few weeks' time. So one of the things that I think is a real issue is this risk of settlement. And so what uh, what we are looking at doing, uh, Ed and I and, and Ollie own the, the company, are looking at uh, 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 introducing a... Um, Settlement insurance type of product. So if, if someone has signed up for an investment property or a, their own house and life puts a spanner in the works, uh, they lose their job, they um so, something happens that is outside of their control. So so not if you develop a gambling addiction, that's your fault. But you know if you if you between now an and settlement something uh, changes in your life and you can't settle, it guarantees you the return of your deposit and that you don't get sued from the developer for non-settlement. That's basically the long and the short of it. And I'm working on that at the moment. Ed and I over our holiday will be researching everything.
1: Mate, I can't do that. I'm too busy finishing the book these holidays. Oh, God, mate. So what, so what Andrew's really talking about is if you're unable to settle for whatever reason during that, that period, what if there was some amount of insurance that people could take out so that look, if you can't settle, you get your deposit back? Because obviously if you're unable to settle, usually the deposit goes to the developer. But what if there was some amount of insurance? So I want to get a poll, see what you guys think. Let me just go across to it. The question I want to ask you is, well, would you take out pre-settlement insurance, assuming that you're buying a new build? Is it absolutely, you think this is a great idea? Maybe. Maybe. If the price was right or you know what, guys, I don't really think that's very needed. So I'm gonna launch this poll across your screens again. Wanna take a bit of a bit of a, a read of the room about what you think about Andrew's idea around this insurance thing. See what see what you guys think. And actually, Andrew, one of the things that we are talking about as part of this is this idea of financial innovation from the credit crunch. And as we're going to talk about soon, and I see it in the comments that are coming through, is that we expect that that non-bank lenders will become astronomically much, much more popular. Now, I'm just going to end that poll and share it with everybody again. So what people are saying, what you guys at home are saying is 20% of you are saying, absolutely, we like this idea. 68% of you are like, maybe maybe if the price was right, 13% of you, hey, you you, you don't need that. But that's cool. That's really good to get that sense of, hey, people are up for a bit of financial innovation. What I'm going to do now is we're going to crawl across and we're we're finished now with March. We've talked all about the credit crunch that's coming. Now we're going to talk about what happens in April. Now in April, rents are going to really start spiking. Now they have been spiking this year and we're going to take you through the data in a second but landlords are really going to start to pass the additional costs that they are facing onto tenants and I'm talking about interest deductibility rules. I'm talking about things like the healthy homes compliance standards. I'm talking about the additional legislation and tenancy regulation that's been forced onto landlords and in fact you can already see that rents are on the rise so what I'm showing you here is all August to August last year compared to this year, where have rents increased the most? Where have they uh, stayed back a little bit more? So. increases in the Taranaki region. 11.4% in Canterbury. Man, they have spiked there. Wellington's up almost 10%. Across the country, rents have been up 7.8% across August 20 to August 21. Otago and Auckland, a little bit on the lighter side. Now you might say to me, well, Ed, how is it How is it that we're going to have rents continuing to rise when they've already risen so much? And I've got six factors I want to take you through. Six reasons why rents are going to continue to rise. The first is inflation, which is pushing up the cost of living across the board. And of course, if if the costs of everything tend to go up, we expect rents to follow as well. And coming off that, one of the reasons for higher inflation is that people are having higher incomes in some instances. Not only are some people able to negotiate higher salaries due to inflation increasing but the other thing is that we've got a real labor shortage here in New Zealand our unemployment rate is what I would consider to be below it's, or sorry, I should say above its maximum sustainable level. Employment is above its maximum sustainable level. And we have got a real crunch where people aren't able to get job uh, to to fill jobs that are currently vacant. And I'll tell you a little story. Uh, one of the things that I do outside of Opus is I'm a member of the Institute of Directors. And I was sitting around the table with people who run very, very large businesses, hire a lot of people. And some of them, their costs for lower income workers are rising astronomically now the good news behind that is that in some instances and i realize it won't be for everybody in the country but there are businesses out there that are really having to increase the amount that they are paying their lower skilled or their lower income workers now remember that's a really good thing but that is also going to introduce more competition and more demand into tenancies, which is ultimately going to push rents higher when you've got a relatively fixed supply. The other thing is that there is a much higher cost of ownership for investors from those additional regulations and taxes I talked about a little bit earlier. And what that is really driving is a change in property investors' behavior. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the surveys that happen of property investors. And in fact, there's one that happens every year with Property Investor magazine. And I'll tell you about that later on as well. What we find from a lot of those surveys is property investors, far from being being grubby and greedy landlords (laughs) actually are quite nice. Often they will say things in those big surveys, like I like to keep the rent a little bit below the market. I like to keep the rent a bit lower so I can keep a really good tenant. I don't want to put the rent up too much. And we do see this. So for instance, we often see that the market price of rents will increase faster than the rate that rents increase for people who already have tenants. So if you're turning over your tenants regularly, you'll tend to increase your rents faster than people who keep their tenants for the, for a longer period of time. Now, what I expect is because property investors feel A bit hard done by, in some instances, with these higher taxes, with these higher regulations, we might see a bit of a change in their willingness to hold that rent down. We might start to see them willing to pass those on because they feel that they're the ones being hit in the back pocket. Of course, we're also going to see Airbnbs starting to change back to long-term rentals. This is really specifically in Auckland, where we've seen a lot of apartments, particularly in central Auckland, transition across to Airbnbs. As we see more tourism come back, international tourism, as we see those borders start to prize open, I expect we'll see a shift back and that is going to decrease supply in the long term rental market. And look, I couldn't find a beehive emoji, but I have found a buzzy bee. I think the incentives for investors to rent out to public housing is really going to cause rents to rise. So as some of you will know, there is an incentive for investors now to rent their properties out to social housing through the public sector, through a community housing provider. Now, the interesting thing here is if we see a whole heap of landlords move their properties into public housing, we're going to see a decrease in supply on the private market. Now, the interesting thing is that the rents that landlords are paid in the public market, if they rent out to community housing providers, are actually set by the private market. So if we start to see more landlords move and rent out via community housing providers, we're actually going to see rents increase across the board just because of a little quirk in terms of how these are set or how rents are set. So what's the lesson here? We've got six good reasons why rents are likely to continue rising into the future. What I would say is review your rents regularly and take a really close look at the market level that is being claimed or the market price that investors are renting properties out for. And in fact, we've just done a really good episode, episode 820 of the Property Academy podcast, where we went through a case study of exactly how, exactly how to assess what your rent is. And one Uh, listener of the show who we've been working with has reviewed uh, both of her properties. She's got one in Papamoa Beach. She's got another in Christchurch. The Papamoa Beach one rents for 595, Christchurch currently for 500. Now, after going through and assessing and assessing what the current market is, rental market is for those properties, she's gonna put that Papamoa Beach up to 650 because she's so far behind the market. That's about a 9% increase. And the Christchurch one's gonna go up by $30 a week, which is a 6% increase. So there are gonna be times where you guys, if you haven't reviewed your rents recently, if you've had your tenant for a while, it might be time to take a really close look at the uh, current market and what that property is actually worth. Now, Andrew, that's April. Blast us through May and June.
0: So May, I think we're going to start to see that labour shortage start to ease. And the biggest part of this is we hopefully will be... uh, not COVID free, but COVID managed and the borders will start to open. Workers from overseas will begin to arrive. There'll be migration into New Zealand. And as a result, there'll be people applying for jobs that will, uh, you know, for for example, bricklayers at the moment. I know that there's a major issue trying to find bricklayers because we get them from the UK. So if we can uh, get people from the UK over here to help with bricks, then great. That's going to help with the labour shortage. In June, it's my birthday. So I'll buy another investment magazine.
1: No, 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 mate. We can't be having that. One more, we one more, one more. Why'd you put that in? No, we're not going <laughs> to be doing that now. Just so everybody knows what we're talking about and why. Why I'm freaking out of it is. Um, little commercial break. Uh, (laughs) We are really proud here to publish two great magazines. Uh, They're the only investment magazines in the country. We've got Informed Investor magazine, which used to be called Juno. And it's just the most beautiful. I love this magazine. It's so beautiful. And I know I've seen some of you reading it uh, on the beaches and you've been putting photos up on Instagram. But this is a broad focus magazine. And uh, also NZ Property Investor. We announced at the last webinar that we recently purchased this. The latest issue is our first issue and a uh, really great read i've been reading that over the weekend now the reason i'm freaking out though is that i'm the one who has to manage them so no andrew you're not buying another one
0: well you can do it i know you can do you, do you, <laughs> do you are you not up to it mate
1: well, let's do a poll, right? I don't have a poll prepared, but if you want, if you want to see another investment magazine, put it in the chat. We want to know what sort of investment content would you actually want to see? Uh, what are, what other magazine can we start? Uh, it's a, ter- it's a now, terrible,
0: it's a terrible idea. Maybe we'll just have, maybe we'll buy M two or something like that.
1: Now let's come across to July. July is going to be an interesting one because this is where we are going to hear a lot of talk about prices starting to just fall away for some parts of New Zealand. And some parts, some recent buyers are really going to start to see the hurt here. Now, I put the date on the 15th of July because that's when Ryan's released their data each month. And we've got our buddy Adrian Orr here, who's been talking about price decreases for a little bit. Now, what I want to show you here is the Reserve Bank's modelling, their exact modelling of what they think is going to happen to house prices, and this has just been released as part of the November monetary policy statement. So this is the Reserve Bank's numbers. What they think is going to happen to house prices, I've given it to you here from 2015 across to 2024. So what does the Reserve Bank think is going to happen in 2022? Well actually, despite the fact that they're talking about price falls, and you can see a little one there. There is a slight decrease just in the last quarter of 2022, uh, between September and December. A 5.6% increase is what they're predicting from December 21 to 2022. But you can see that small fall away there. What are they predicting for December 22 to 23? A 3.3% decrease across the country. Now, the reason I wanted to show you this, first of all, is while you are seeing a lot of talk, and there are a lot of news articles about there, where the Reserve Bank is warning of prices falling away, under their own modelling, between now and December next year, they're still predicting a 5.6% increase over that time, even as you can see house prices falling away there. So from now, we're expecting probably a 7% increase up to about September, and then a small fall away at the end of 2022, and then a bit of a tougher time, 2022 to 2023. But just note as well, the total amount that the Reserve Bank, under their forecasts, have predicted a decrease of only 5%. Now, remember, house prices are up about 40% since the pandemic began. So while we might be seeing, and there is the potential for price decreases, it's only small relative to the increases we have already had. The other thing that I do just want to say as well is while we might start to see a small decrease as we ease away at the end of 2022, is that no one is good at predicting house prices. I originally had Treasury here, but then I thought that was a bit mean. No <laughs> one is very good at predicting house prices. And my evidence for this is I'm about to show you a graph of house prices in NZ since 2011. And that red line there, That red line there is Treasury's forecast that they released in March this year. So that's what they thought was going to happen to house prices when they released it in March this year. Now, let's take a look at what actually happened. So that's what they thought would happen. Here's what's actually happened. House prices kept increasing at a fast rate, at a faster rate actually than they were initially predicting. And at this point, if you were to look at that blue point of where we've got up to the red line, well, house prices are actually now higher than what Treasury predicted they would be in 2025. <laughs> so Treasury released a forecast. These are all the best economists, people who are much smarter than me, released a forecast in uh, early 2021 with what they thought would happen with house prices. And the New Zealand property market has already beaten it. Now, I'm not trying to demean Treasury. They're full of very intelligent people. But the point is here is that no one is very good at predicting what's going to happen. So while we look at the Reserve Bank's forecast and we take it as a bit of a direction of travel, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what's going to happen happen in the end. Now, what I want to do is ask you another question. I want to get another read of the room since I saw a couple of you have said, hey, we really like these polls. What I want to ask you now is what do you think is going to happen to house prices next year? Are they going to keep going up Are they going to plateau slash stay the same or are they going to start dripping down? And after we do this, we're going to give you the exact price predictions that we have for certain regions around New Zealand. So I'm going to stop sharing the screen now and I'm going to give you that poll to just start to get that read of the room see what you guys think is going to happen so that's launching now and what I want to know is what do you think is going to happen to house prices next year are they going to keep going up are they going to plateau so they stay the same or are they going to start to decline and again once we get up to about 500 answers we'll close off the poll and share it back out there Andrew what do you think is going to happen at the country level what, just while we're allowing those people to uh, everybody listening to to uh, answer that poll.
0: So I think some, some- some Some places are going to go up, some places are going to go down. So uh, at a country level, I'd say plateau. Now,
1: Kirshen's got an interesting one. He's saying steady to March uh, slash April and then boom again. I'm going to end that poll, share the results across everybody's screen. Uh, 46% of you think it's going to keep going up. The same amount, 45% of you think they'll plateau. Only less than 10% of you are saying that you think, hey, they're actually going to go down. Well, what I'm going to do now is, Andrew, we're going to start going and sharing our predictions Mm -hmm. for what's going to happen in the new year with specific regions, because what's really important to note is, as you said, Andrew, not all regions are going to be impacted equally. Some are going to continue to do very well, and some are going to decline. And so what I want to do is call it the rumble of the regions and talk about which, where do we think prices are more likely to rise and where do we think prices are likely to fall? Now, Andrew, we had a, we- a little talk. We chit-chat with each other at the start of this. Which regions do you think are most likely to rise?
0: So, so I said Auckland, Hamilton and Canterbury.
1: Oh, is he right? What are you screaming at the TV at home? Hey, Auckland is definitely one of the areas where I think prices is going to continue to rise. It's currently $1.3 million. is about the average for the region for auckland region is 1.3 i think we'll still see some strong growth not as strong as we have seen of course we've seen 25 percent increases for a, a wee while i expect we're going to see 7.7 percent growth there up to the 1.4 million mark the one that andrew didn't get a region that i'm really big on and not just because i grew up there is Taranaki. <laughs> every I, I chance that to, house-
0: every chance to pitch it
1: Yeah, I I love it. I'm going there on Friday. I'm so excited. We're going down to Taranaki. Uh, 689 is what I expect we'll see by the end of this time next year, up 10%. We're seeing rents skyrocket. We're seeing a lot of demand there. And of course, it is an absolutely beautiful region to live in. And Canterbury as well. I'm expecting a 15% increase heading up to that 790k mark. Now, you might think, holy hell, Ed. How are we going to get Canterbury up that amount in such a short period of time? What I'd just encourage you to remember is that last time I checked, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth right now, Hawke's Bay is up around the million dollar mark. Mm. Wellington is up over the million dollar mark. There are places like uh, Palmerston North and Wanganui that have doubled in value in the past six years. House prices can move quickly. And of course, Canterbury has been so undervalued and it's still about 15%, 16% undervalued. I expect we'll still see house prices start to skyrocket there. But we're big on Taranaki, also quite big on Blenheim and southern Canterbury, specifically around Ashburton as well. Now, Andrew, where do you think prices are most likely to
0: fall? So my predictions for that were Wellington, Queenstown and Dunedin.
1: Well, I definitely think Wellington is going to have a wee bit of a tough time. And the trouble with Wellington, and this is really what it comes down to, is Wellington's been booming for about the past seven years. House prices more than doubled. They've just been increasing astronomically. And if you've increased uh, by a big amount, <laughs> Sorry, there, is Thomas. Much further, there is much, much further to fall. Whereas somewhere like a Canterbury or Taranaki in Auckland, they had been relatively flat like Auckland had been flat for about four years. Now it's starting to increase. It doesn't have as far to fall compared to that flat period. Same with Canterbury, same with Taranaki. So Wellington has got further to fall simply because it's increased so much. After that, Manawatu-Wanganui region. Look, I think these guys are going to have a tough time because, again... House prices have just been skyrocketing astronomically. I think we'll see about a 6.3% comeback, specifically around that Wanganui area, down to about 590k. And Dunedin as well, Student City, we have seen Dunedin, its puff has kind of come out of the market a wee bit compared to the rest of the country simply because, like Wellington, it had been going bonkers for so long and now it's time for that market to slow. Gisborne's a a really good example as well. We're in the space of three and a half years, we've seen house prices just increase by an enormous, enormous amount. Uh, And at that point, after that increase, you've got further to fall. So those are the areas we think are more vulnerable. These are the areas we think are less vulnerable. But my lesson here for you is this, pick your region carefully, simply because house prices will rise in some regions and it will fall in others. Now, Andrew, we're into August. What's going to happen in August?
0: So I think we're going to see a major surge in the amount of uh, investors, particularly who are looking at non bank lenders, because the the, the difficult uh, credit crunch is going to, going to force people to look at other options. And and if uh, you got if you got an image of such things, uh, I guess this goes you know if property investor isn't getting what he's um, wanting at home, then he's going to start looking either uh, to offshore money or non bank lenders or something like that. And I guess a good um, representation of this is looking at what happens in Australia. So in Australia, about 20% of loans are done through non-bank lenders. Um, in New Zealand, it's only around 2%. So it's an insignificant number of loans compared to Australia. And uh, we're already seeing non-bank lenders uh, appear in the market that weren't here before. And um, John Bolton from Squirrel Squirrel actually wrote uh, in a recent article, I estimate that we could see non-bank market growth go to $45 billion over the next 10 years so about 10% of all home loans. I actually think that's probably conservative, to be honest. So I guess the fifth lesson is start to look more closely at non-bank lenders. There is going to be uh, not not finance companies like like we remember from the last credit crunch, but they're kind of in between bank and finance companies. So not your really high interest rates, but your liberties, your ResiMax, all of those kind of things.
1: Now, September is an interesting <laughs> one and a controversial one. Um, we are not poking at any specific people. This is a general trend, but we are talking about developers behaving badly, Andrew. And you put the likelihood on this one.
0: (laughs) Now, yeah, Ed Ed shows a picture that was um, from from, uh, the TV show Succession rather than actually putting someone's uh, face on there. Who are we going to put on there again, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andrew Nicol. I, I think the major issue uh, that we're going to see over the next wee while is because um, developers have been forced with increasing costs um, and we're in an, up, an upward market, you're going to start to see some developers try and recoup some of those costs. Um, and uh, the big thing that we're seeing at the moment is people using sunset clauses to cancel contracts uh, in an unfair way. Uh, And we'll talk more about what that looks like. So, So... you will have seen this just in the paper the other day, uh, home buyers having their contracts cancelled because the uh, build hasn't finished on time and so the developer's been able to actually cancel the contract due to a sunset clause, so an end date in a contract, um, and then sell that at a higher price. So the poor first home buyer that's wanting to buy the property or the first investor that's done their numbers on 800000 is now faced with either pay $1.2 million or bugger off, we're going to sell it to someone else.
1: And actually... And just to explain... Just to explain to us, Andrew, how do
0: these sunset clauses work? So essentially what happens if you're buying off plans, you go unconditional and you've got an expected completion date. And normally, nowadays, you'll expect a sunset clause that's 12 months out from that. So what that means is that at, at, at that particular day, either party can cancel the contract if the build hasn't finished. And that's so that um, the developer can you know, go on to do other things because they haven't been able to get the project complete, or you as the purchaser can do the same. So often... Often they can be quite useful, but in a lot of cases uh, we're seeing at the moment developers using them and then cancelling them just to sell the property at a higher price. And so lesson six is that you need to include provisions in your contract to protect yourself against property, a property that you've signed off, a site signed up for, being resold at a higher price. The other major trend that we expect to be seeing next year is some developers, and there'll be some big-name developers going bankrupt. And... uh, The number one thing that I've learned from experience in in the property game is what controls the housing market is the ability to get finance. And we are going to go through a very real credit crunch in New Zealand and that will flow down to developers who won't be able to finish projects uh, on time. And um, there's a great example about this uh, in the paper just the other day that Ed and I did a podcast on and uh, this was Maxim Homes in Christchurch and uh, the the shortage of materials was just the, the thing that stopped them being able to get properties finished on time and it ended up sending them bankrupt now I want to talk about oh sorry did you want to say something there Ed no I was going to
1: but then I decided I thought better of it
0: (laughs) so I'm going to talk about the six main reasons that we think that some developers are going to go go bust over the next week while uh next 12 months so as you all know, there's been a major upward pressure in the cost of materials. Uh, and of course, if you've signed a fixed price contract, so you've agreed to sell a property for 800000 but it's actually going to cost you eight hundred and fifty, that's a real problem. And if you're an experienced developer with lots of money in the bank, then maybe you can weather that storm, but maybe not either. The higher wages that are being required to pay for construction workers, again, is just going to make it so much harder to finish that property uh, at, at the agreed price. The delays in construction is, is a real problem. Uh, with, uh, with Auckland going in and out of lockdown, with New Zealand going in and out of lockdown, uh, there are real delays on being able to complete a project on time. I think the uh, one of the big things is you're seeing a lot of developers have got large staffs now, and they've got fixed costs that they have to pay out. Um, big offices, fixed costs uh, for wages, and as a result, they've got to continue to sell huge numbers of properties. Now, if that slows down next year, but you've still got those fixed costs, that is an issue. One major issue that I'm seeing at the moment, um, particularly, you know, even in places like Christchurch, um, people are overpaying for land. They're paying prices for land that that. You've never paid before in terms of a square metre rate, and and a lot of that will be inexperienced. So again, some of those younger developers that are new to the industry, a couple of years in the industry, that you know they're thinking that they can pay a high amount for the land because they've never seen a, 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 a winter's day. And as a result, that's going to be a real challenge when the market does slow down and they've already committed to buying a big chunk of land.
1: And the last one's a bit controversial, Andrew. <laughs> the,
0: the the last one is just the excessive lifestyle that you can see on certain uh, developers, uh, uh, Instagrams or anything like that. And, and as a result, I think, I, I, I mean, we don't know what the company books look like for a lot of uh, the developers, but... I imagine that they are stripping companies bare. I mean, there's lots of um, fu- uh, there's lots of capital being raised to fund uh, development businesses rather than putting the profits straight back into it. So I think that is going to put a lot of pressure on uh, developers next year, and we will see some big names fail and i think the biggest lesson here is that developer the developer you choose is just as important as the property because it's all well and good if you find a property that makes sense on paper but if you never get that property delivered you've lost time and potential money and that's a real issue
1: now let's come across to october now my girlfriend (laughs) you wish andrew (laughs) now the interesting thing is in October, we talked earlier that we were going to see rents rise quite sharply. We talked about that in April. Now, I expect that we're going to get some real cause for regulation starting to kick in. And I think tenancy groups are going to be really up in arms and really asking for four things. I think they're going to be asking for rental property warranty fitnesses. I think they're going to try and give it another go. They've been asking for rent controls or maximum rent increases for a long time rather than a market-led approach. I think they're going to have another jolly at this, give that a go. I think they're going to be asking for tenancy regulations, even more of them favoring tenants. And I think they're going to be arguing for property manager certification, that property managers have to go through a course and, and have some amount of paper that says, hey, yes, they can do their job. Now, what might surprise you is actually this last one. I actually think is quite a good idea, and it's something that we've been very supportive of. And Brian's, for instance, is is uh, really leading a campaign to try and get some level of certification around property managers. You were just going to jump in there, Andrew.
0: Oh no, no, I was going to agree with you, Ed. It's a, it's something I'm not
1: used to, if I'm honest, Andrew. You agree <laughs> with me? Yeah. But we d- we do expect that this is going to be really good for tenants, actually. If property managers are certified and there's some more regulation around that area. The reason I say that is that it would stop there to be opportunists entering the market thinking they can make a quick buck and they're not really giving tenants the, uh, the, tenants the care and attention that they really deserve. So I think that one is going to be a particularly good idea. Look, I think if you're a landlord or a property investor, seeing some of those arguments come out next year and you'll see it in the papers, same message as what we said for January, steal yourself. Just make sure that you can ride this through. There's going to be a lot of emotive stories coming out in the papers and do you know what it might, it might pay to read property investor magazine rather than stuff. Now one last thing that is going to be happening in October and this is going to be, this is going to be big. We've got the Opus Partners New Zealand Property Investors Federation 2022 conference. So in October next year, It's going to be a ball of the time. Come along to Palmy North because we are going to have a great time at uh, New Zealand's largest and most official property investors conference that is organised by the good folks at the Manawatu uh, Property Investors Association. Wonderful people uh, led by Pauline. I think it's Bissell is her last name there. Uh, It's going to be a whale of the time. So we take away. You really should come along to this conference because that could be be you there riding the bike. (laughs) Why am I not in the front? Why am I not winning? Because if you come along to the conference, Andrew, everybody is a winner. (laughs) It is going to be a really good conference. That's not an Opus Partners conference, just to be clear. We're sponsoring it, but it's run by the NZ Property Investors Federation. Great people. Join up to your local Property Investors Association because it's a good thing to do, but we will be having a whale of the time, and I hope to see you all there. Now, Take it away, what's going to happen in November and December, Andrew? Look,
0: we're going to see a massive, uh, again, you'll see a lot of this in the media, there'll be a massive fear of an oversupply on properties, and and I remember after the Christchurch earthquakes talking to people about you know the immense amount of construction, and people would say, will there be an oversupply? And I said, no, carry on investing, it'll be fine. Um, uh, but I think one of the major numbers that people are holding on to at the moment is the, ima- the amount of consents uh, that are being issued. So in terms of consents being issued, we're well above the long-term average. Um, and so what people will take from that is, hey, there might be an oversupply of properties. And i just remind you, just because a consent's not, uh, consent is being issued does not result in a house being built. And if we do see developers fall next year, particularly when projects are halfway uh, complete, um, and we see uh, an influx of people uh, returning from overseas, there, there could actually be a shortage of properties. And that's probably what I would predict more than I would see an oversupply of properties. And of course, to December I don't know why I agreed to let you take that photo of me Ed we're going to be back with more predictions for 2023 (laughs) and so will Uncle Esther
1: oh and it will be a wonderful webinar next year as well so there is your calendar remember pick it up wherever good calendars are sold from your local paper <laughs> calendars or are worth more than be. that
0: though nine do- it should be 29.90 doesn't yeah 29.90 david's oh, agreeing with me you how- calendars are not sold. can we do no, one more poll and see how much people would pay for a calendar if we do one next year
1: We will do one last poll, but it's not going to be about that. Now, what I want to do is just recap the main takeaways that we've gone through here. First of all, steal yourself for those anti-landlord stories that we're going to see in the media and on social media. Work closely. Please work closely with your broker around servicing. It's going to be a big issue, a big thing to think about next year, especially earlier. Review your rents regularly because that's going to help you with servicing those mortgages and the market has moved substantially. So make sure you're picking up on those as well as choose that region really carefully. Some regions are going to not do well last, next year. Some regions are going to continue to do really well. And it's going to be a change from what we have seen over the last two years where everything's gone off like a frog in a sock. There are going to be areas (laughs) that start to be rolled back. Consider those non-bank lenders and areas of finance that you wouldn't have typically gone to. And of course, negotiate clauses with developers. See if you can get a sunset clause put in that's only for your benefit, not for the benefit of the developer. See if you can push it out. See if you can get a clause in there that says, hey, we can have a sunset clause, but you can't use it in order to be able to sell that property at a higher price. These are all things we are seeing people do. And I'll tell you a little story. There was one uh, investor who actually was a home buyer who listens to the podcast and emailed me and said, Ed, uh, I've got a developer who's trying to do that, but not to me, to my neighbors. So this person listens to the podcast, decided to put in a clause uh, that extended that sunset clause out much further than it otherwise would have been. And so he's probably going to be the only person in that development who gets to go in to his property, move into his property and settle at that original price because he negotiated the clauses up front. It's boring. It's legal, it's complicated, but it could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the last thing is just remember, a developer is just as important as the house. Choosing the developer because you want to make sure those properties are actually being built. Those are the major seven takeaways, and we are going to get into Q&A in a moment. But if this is the first time you've ever come to one of these webinars, you're probably thinking, what do these guys even do? And I know that there are so many of you here tonight who are old friends, you've been with us for the last two years. You know us better than we know ourselves in some ways. But for those of you who are new tonight, I always like to just let you know, well, what do we even do here at Opus Partners? And we are what we what you would call property partners. And what our service really involves is three major things. The first is we help investors put together a plan for their portfolio. We help them figure out how many properties do they need over X period of time. So that could be something like three properties over the next five years, something along those lines. So we plan out those property portfolios. The next thing we do is we help people pick properties. So we go out and we find good quality developers who uh, we can do due diligence on to make sure that we really like the look of them, to pick properties that work within that portfolio plan that you've created. And then lastly, you dig into the details. You confirm that, yes, that is the property that I really want to go ahead and purchase. That's the one that is going to fit with me and my portfolio. So really, those are the three things, planning, finding properties, making sure they're the right ones for you. And you might be wondering, well, how much does all of this cost? Well, we don't actually charge investors for this service. And the reason we don't charge investors, people who use this service, uh, any fees for that uh, is simply this, because you're probably wondering, how do you keep the lights on? Well, if we can go out and find good quality developments, if we can go out and find properties that are investable, that make sense for investors, and then we can match them up with investors, and that investor says, hey, yes, that is the right property for me, that's a property that I want to purchase, then we charge the developer a fee as opposed to the investor. And in that way, we can deliver that service completely complementary to the investors. Now, if you think that sounds pretty good and you haven't seen us before, your next step is to meet with us for a portfolio planning session. And that is where we use our in house software, which we've created by Wealth Plan, to help plan out that property portfolio. So, what I'm going to do now, if you think that sounds pretty good, is I'm going to put a final poll across your screen just to see, just to give you that opportunity to come see us if you are keen. Some of you are part of the family, and I know you've seen this. 10 times before. But if you haven't seen it before, if you're new, then perhaps you'd like to see us. And just so you know, we'll be in touch specifically in the new year in order to be able to uh, book you in because we're pretty flat out for the rest of the year. So I'm just going to give you that opportunity, pop that across your screens. If you hit the top button, you'll get a call in the new year, we'll book you in for that portfolio planning session. If it's not right time for you, if you've seen us before, you're already a client of ours, just click that no button because then we know, hey, look, we don't need to call you, you're all sorted. And you know, if our strategy is right for you, hit the top button, if not, hit that bottom button there.
0: Hey, Dale, just, so what we're going to do? Oh, sorry, just before, yeah, you go, just, Andrew. I uh, just I see a couple of questions asking about new build. So yes, uh, uh, under the um, uh, under Opus Partners, often we deal in new build investments, but we do have a service that deals in existing. So I see that there are a couple of people asking about that. So um, you, it does not make economic sense nowadays in our opinion to buy an existing property and just rent it out. But you can if you add value and do what we call cash flow hack then Opus Accelerate which is a paid service is great and so this helps you to increase the value of a property in a a quick period of time hence the name Accelerate and to accelerate your rent as well so that you can combat the fact that you will be paying tax uh, on your interest so there's no deductibility there.
1: Now, what we're going to do now is we are going to go through questions and I just need to change my mic. It's so hot in this room once you put all the lights on, it. It's all the hot little... air. <laughs> so I've got to switch my mic over and what we're going to do now is go through, is go through uh, a couple of questions but just one last thing that I always like to do in terms of next steps. If you want to learn more, If you want to learn more, I'm going backwards here. If you want to learn more, here are three things you can do over the holidays in order to be able to upskill. First of all, if you don't already listen to the Property Academy podcast, you really are missing out. Episode 824 went live today. You can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast listening app. We release a new show absolutely every day. Tomorrow is 825 825 The day after that is 826, it is a banger. Of course, subscribe to our YouTube as well. We release a brand new video every single Wednesday. Just Google Opus Partners YouTube, it'll be the first thing that comes up. And then also our Instagram, Every single day we post uh, We post now on Instagram, where I think we're actually going to start doing twice a day. Uh, so you can follow us on at opus underscore partners because we post a lot of educational content on there. And it's great to, just as you're scrolling along, making dinner or whatever you're doing on the bus, uh, it's great to, to have that reminder about property investment. Let's get into the questions now, Andrew. And I know you've been sending them in, so let's just ask, well, what else would you like to know? And we'll stick around for maybe the next 20 minutes answering people's questions, which will be a lot of fun. Andrew, what have you been picking up?
0: Uh, so, let's see what we look. Sorry, I was actually too busy writing notes here. for to uh, Well,
1: fine. I'm going to answer Darren's question then, which is one we get almost every single time. So Darren's asked... Uh, why the name Opus? Now, some of you will, <laughs> will know this and you'll be able to scream, scream the answer at the TV. So Opus is the Latin word for wealth. And I'll tell you a little story about how it all started, where I wasn't actually there, but I've heard it so many times <laughs> that I remember. So uh, Andrew and Ollie Hickman, who was uh, one of the other founders of Opus Partners, uh, were sitting at a bar one day. Trying to name their fledgling business, and they thought, just like a lot of people do, oh, we should just Google what another word for wealth is, and opus happened to be the Latin name, and so that's what that's what they've used. Uh, I've got another question here as well. Uh, Brian said, "How on earth do you guys have time for all of this stuff? Putting out the content? Don't, well, do you know what? It's sleep. a real, it's a it's a labor of love." And can I just, you guys are going to be like, God, he's he's a bit cooked this one, but these magazines are actually so good. I was sitting down and reading them over the weekend thinking, God, the journalists we've got on staff are really, actually really good quality. Joanna, if you're if you're watching tonight, first of all, thank you for coming along. Joanna's our editor for NZ Property Investor Magazine. Um, it's just such a good quality magazine. And of course, if you sign up to your local property investors association, you get this as part of your subscription, which is a really good way to get that as well. Andrew, what else are you um, are you uh, so seeing ten, in, in your question? Sure, so
0: Tingo's asked, will banks treat rental income from new builds differently from existing? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, and the reason for that is because obviously with the new interest deductibility rules, an older property has more expenses i.e. more tax to pay than a new build and so as a result the bank servicing calculators are being adjusted so that if you own a property which is considered existing uh, uh, as opposed to a property which has been bought uh, with code of compliance coming after the 27th of March 2020 then uh, they, they will treat those differently, they'll, scale, they'll uh, shade them differently Um. I imagine that you'll see more of that happen next year as well, because remember the deductibility rules uh, are being phased in over a number of four uh, over four years. Um, someone I, asked. To, uh, oh, sorry. I'll just go into. I'll do one more. Uh, anonymous asks: Is buying an existing house a good investment property? Uh, sorry, an existing home as an investment property is still a good strategy, um, even though the interest is no no longer deductible. No, not in our opinion, unless you cash flow hack the property unless you can get that rent up to a, to a significantly higher level than than what a yield you'd expect on a normal property is. Then no, it doesn't make sense. But you can do that through um, our accelerate program, or if you, or if you're familiar with doing that yourself, then uh, then it works.
1: Now I've seen a question. Somebody has asked, okay. "How do I subscribe?" This was Kate. How do I subscribe to Informed Investor Mag? If you go to informedinvestor.co.nz, you'll be able to sign up. We're currently running a promotion: twenty-nine dollars for for the year. I think it's it is four cheap. issues for twenty-nine dollars. I know, Andrew. I says it's too cheap. I said, oh, "No," but I like it. I like everybody being able to afford it. I've also had somebody ask, "Why is it that you?" specifically think canterbury is going to do so well and what i just want to show you is some of the data we've got on our website that supports that kind of hypothesis as why uh, why christchurch and specifically canterbury is likely to do quite well let me just pull that up so that i can show you why we believe it's so undervalued i'm going to just pop that on now andrew you can While see the do- website here yes. can you
0: oh, what yeah yeah okay. oh there we go who's that handsome man Ed McKnight signed
1: up. Oh, he definitely signed up for this. So here we've got um, a, a graph that shows Canterbury house prices compared to New Zealand house prices. So what this shows, if this line is going down, then New Zealand house prices are increasing faster than Canterbury. Canterbury is getting relatively cheaper. So you can see it going down. If this line is going up, that says that Canterbury house prices are increasing at a faster rate than New Zealand in total. Now, what has happened since November 2014, and I haven't updated this recently, this only goes to July, is that Canterbury house prices have been on a decline relative to the rest of the country. They've been going up, but at a slower rate than the rest of New Zealand. Now, if I was to show you the last five months of this, specifically in Christchurch, then we would start to see a catch up. We are starting to see Christchurch house prices increase at a faster rate than the rest of the country. And so because it's so undervalued, relative to the New Zealand house price, we're starting to see that catch up. That's one of the reasons we really do uh, start to see strong growth in Christchurch. Now, somebody's also asked for interest rate predictions. I'm just going to pull up the data, but I'll hand it back to Andrew. While you're doing that,
0: uh, there are a few questions around um, uh, the changes around the triple CFA. So someone said, I was always told that they uh, discounted rent to account for uh, expenses such as rates and insurance. That's true. So in the past, uh, the 25% shading or the 20% shading, depending on the bank, was there to allow for vacancy uh, uh, accounting, uh, uh, sorry, rates and insurance and that kind of thing. Now they're doing a shading and then also applying um, those expenses. So it's t- basically just a higher shading. And um, Cameron also uh, asked, so the rent percentage hasn't changed um, because, of course, in our in our example we used... Uh, Seventy-five uh, percent, I think we used. Um, actually, it has changed. If it is new, so uh, sorry, an existing property, so it is as low as sixty percent. Um, and in terms of uh, minimum monthly expenses, uh, which someone's asked about, have they lowered? No, absolutely not. They've they've increased those. Uh, and and of course they are going line by line. So it would be very unlikely now that someone would be uh would would be at the minimum monthly expenses. You'd have to be living on the smell of an oily rag.
1: Definitely agree with that, Andrew. Now, there are two great questions that I don't think we've really answered on the show before. So one, I can't remember who asked it, but somebody said, what do you look for when you are finding properties? So we're going out and sourcing properties for people. What do we actually look for? So what I want to show you, which we haven't done before, is this is an example of uh, some properties we've recommended. And I just want to show you the level of detail we go through, specifically the checklist. So you've got all the stuff. We've got an example of where do we think Auckland house prices are? Are they undervalued? Are they overvalued? Relatively undervalued at this point. But what I want to show you is I want to skip past some of the detail, even though it's, it's uh, very interesting. And I want to show you. Oh, please actually show. Ah, oh, here we go. This is what I'm looking for. The 23-step pre-investment checklist. So there are 23 things we tend to look for when selecting a property. So things like strong historical capital growth within that region, things like, is it an appropriate part of its property cycle? If it's overvalued, if it's 20% overvalued, uh, hey, we don't want that. Like Otago at a time was 17% overvalued. No, we're not going to be recommending properties there because it's overvalued at the moment by our models. Population growth employment, how diverse the industries are. So obviously you don't want to be investing in a one-horse town because in that instance, then what happens if uh, if one specific industry goes through a tough time like we've seen in Queenstown with uh, tourism, I won't go through all 23 steps, but there are a range of things that we're looking for. Let's just find actually, this is a really good one, Andrew. And I had this question from somebody today, priced at or under valuation. So making sure that if you're signing up for a new build, that it's not priced 50k above what it's really worth. So making sure that it's in line with the market. So there are a range of things. i have actually got one of my team currently writing an article specifically uh, about this so that you can have it on there and you will be able to see it uh, and, and use it as well. One last thing I want to take you through, are interest rate predictions. So I had somebody ask, what do you think interest rate predictions are going to be over the next 12 months? And I want to direct you to this specific article, which you can find on our website. So if, I'll just show you this. If you go to opuspartners.co.nz slash learn, you'll see all of the articles that we have written and we write three new articles a week. Um, There's a banger of an article up here, by the way, about how do I add an extra bedroom to my property when renovating. Really, really good article, by the way. I'll take you through it if anybody says in the chats. And this one here is about, well, how high will mortgage interest rates go? And what I've got here is the average one-year mortgage interest rate from the banks, and I've got the OCR. Now, what you'll see is, God, they move almost in unison. God, they move really closely together. And what I've got here is the OCR and I've got the Reserve Bank's forecast of what do they think the OCR is going to be. Now, this acts as a really nice baseline to say, well, where do we think interest rates are going to be? So if we go across and say, what might happen in December 2022? Well, 4.2% is what we might get up to, according to this, if we just add on the 2.5% margin, i.e. the average difference between these lines and add it onto the forecast. But what you can also do is say, well, do you think that the OCR is going to stay on this course. Well, actually, they're increasing it a bit faster, so perhaps it will go up a bit, bit, bit further than this. But look, I think a 4 or 4.5% four is probably what we'll see in terms of the one-year rate coming up later next year.
0: Andrew, what other questions are so coming up A couple you? of really interesting ones. Um, someone asked the question, uh, do you believe that legislation will be introduced to stop developers from uh, from cancelling contracts to resell and make higher profits? Um, I, I, I heard that there was something in the paper yesterday that I haven't even had a chance to read yet, and I'd written that down on my notes um, from from the webinar to actually dig that out and do a podcast on. I believe that's being looked at. Um, I wouldn't hang my hat on that happening anytime soon, there's so much going on in the world um, uh, that that there's probably other focuses right now, um, but it's something that probably is going to get a lot of media attention. I think the biggest thing that's going to happen is developers are going to be named and shamed, and um, that has a serious ramification. Uh, you know, in a in a digital age where we get we get people's names uh, very publicly um, pro, uh, spread uh, if they do something like that. And someone also asked the question. Um, sorry. Uh, Oh, someone asked the question uh, before. Can we explain more, uh, uh, elaborate on why Airbnbs will shift to long-term tenancies, uh, and uh, which we, which we said earlier on, and and the big reason for that is because there hasn't really been a market for Airbnb, particularly in the Auckland Central apartment market. And so when those borders do open and when we do start travelling a bit more domestically, what you're going to see is people want to return to a higher level of income, um, especially if they don't have the interest deductibility anymore. And so people might take their property, which they've rented to for fixed-term market for a year, and then they're going to put that back on the Airbnb market, hence resulting in uh, fewer properties for the long-term market.
1: Now, question for you, Andrew, Brian has asked, with new builds, do you get a lower interest rate? Can you speak about the uh, the the lower interest rates that are available?
0: Yeah, so there there are two banks which offer uh, uh, I think it's two banks off the top of my head that will offer um, specials for if you're buying off plans or you're building a house, and, and that's to incentivise more stock on the market. Uh, and actually, one of my investors rang me today. I think I think from what are you laughing about? Well, I think from memory the rate was two point one nine percent. Peter's actually texting me at the moment. Is it is it two point one nine percent, Peter? Um, uh, so, something like that And so it, it can really uh, um, what, what This particular investor um, Was being forced to pay principal and interest uh, 2.29 from Kashan. Thank you Kishan um, And 2.03 someone else has said So really really low interest rates If it is a brand new build so take advantage of that. Um, this particular investor that I was talking to uh, just yesterday or today I can't even remember uh, said that even the uh, making principal and interest payments was cheaper than going interest only at our non bank lender because he because he was on a relatively low income.
1: Now another question Tingo has I think that's how you say Tingo has said Andrew what's your Candy Crush high score?
0: Oh, hang on, I'll tell you. Uh, someone also said in there, uh, can you please tell us uh, what's your prediction for uh either of you becoming engaged or having a child next year? Uh now I am I'm already engaged. So Ed, um what is your prediction of you uh getting engaged next year?
1: Zero percent. Zero percent chance. Zero <laughs> percent.
0: Kelly, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I will slip a um engagement ring into your dessert when I see you on Sunday. I don't know how to figure no, out it's my because. Score of on.
1: I like to I like to plan these things out, Andrew. Look, I think the likelihood that I'm still uh, unengaged in three years is still a hundred percent as well. Much to my mother's disappointment. Um, now, level level another- one two
0: four zero. Level one two four zero for whoever asked that. Now, there is
1: another great question, which is, Glenn, you have asked, what is the maximum amount that rents can increase? The answer is unlimited. There is no cap on what rents can actually increase. But I have a caveat for you. The caveat is you can't increase it substantially more than the market level. So if you've got a current tenant in your property and you want to increase that rent, you can't increase it substantially above what similar properties are renting for out in the market. But let's say that you were renting that property to, uh, out to somebody for $200 a week. And then actually you'd had them for ages or they were a family friend or whatever it happened to be. There is nothing stopping you from increasing that to the market level as long, as long as you hadn't increased it over the last 12 months. What are you laughing at again? I just the, said the number how many of
0: people that are very excited to see your jacket auctioned off. I think we should do it. And someone asked, "What can uh, which um, which cause cure kids? We'll we'll give the money to cure kids. Ed, can we auction it off?" I really like that jacket. <laughs> not, not
1: not many. They only make twelve of these a year, or something. Now, Holly said, "How many times a year? Why don't we auction off like a a, a, a property investment check with the two we'll, of we'll, us?" That's well, I we tell we you what, we'll do off.
0: we'll do a dinner out with the two of us, and we'll give that to Cure Kids. We'll organise that for next year.
1: <laughs> We'd we'll have to pay the person to come out. Now, Holly has said, "How many how many times a year can you put the rent up?" Once. You can put the rent up once per year. Every 12 months you can put it up. Uh that is assuming that is assuming you're not going back to the to the market and your tenant has decided to move out. If it's coming back to the market, generally you can put it up as many times as you uh, like if you're having tenant turnover.
0: I'm just going to cover about price escalations because someone's asked here uh, that they've actually purchased um, with the assistance of Opus Partners and and is a little bit concerned about um, hearing all these articles in the papers around price escalations. So for anyone that's new to this, um, basically this is where you agree to pay a certain price and then between now and uh, settlement, uh, the developer comes back and says, I need more money um, and you can say, Yes or no, and depending on your contract and the status at the time will depend on whether or not the developer can cancel it. It is happening all the time, well, not all the time, sorry. It is happening an awful lot at the moment. Next year, it is going to be way worse than it is today. Now, it depends a little bit on your individual uh, circumstances, so that person can email me and I'll I'll have a look into your actual contract. So often there's there's an at-risk period, and actually we've got an article on our website on this, where you'll go unconditional and pay your deposit, but the developer hasn't gone unconditional because often they'll be subject to building consent, resource consent, um, pre-sales, finance. There'll be conditions that they have to meet and um, it's quite normal to have that at-risk period. It's just that we don't really see uh, uh, that get uh, used for this kind of reason. But because um, one particular project I worked on uh, with a developer in Auckland, they had 12 months to get resource consent uh, from from the council. Uh, and as a result, the contract, uh, the the builder's contract for for that to actually be built, each pro- each property had gone up by, hundred thousand, sorry, sixty thousand dollars or sixty five thousand dollars of cost to the developer. Now, in that case, he did pass on twenty five thousand of that onto investors or, or home buyers. And um, he, he wore 40000 40, in that instance. And uh, on average, I think those properties had gone up around a uh, seventy five to $100,000. So most people in that instance said, hey, look, I can live with that. I can get the money from the bank. I, I'm willing to accept that. But some people said no. Now, because he hadn't confirmed his conditions, because one of the conditions was resource, resource consent, he had the ability to exit the contracts if people said no. Now even if a even if a developer was unconditional, if a developer really, really in trouble financially, they might come back and say, Hey, we're gonna go under anyway. Um so so you either need to pay us $10,000 or we can't complete the project. You as an investor or a buyer has always got the right to say no and my advice would be just just assess each deal um, to your circumstances. It might be that an extra $10,000 to get up, $100,000 worth of uplift is worth worth your while. It could also be that developers are just using this to, um, to get extra money, to take advantage of the upward market and take some of that profit that you've made. So you've got to be really careful and probably part of the advice that I'd give is Get a really good uh, uh, property specialist when you're, when you're choosing a lawyer. Um, don't just use a standard family lawyer that you've known for years that maybe doesn't specialise in, in off-the-plan purchases and make sure they go through that contract with a fine-tooth comb.
1: Next up, there's the, I, I want to get into the Hamilton and Bay of Plenty market. And those of you who have asked about Hamilton and Bay of Plenty, I'm going to deep dive into it. But I really want to just answer Serena's question first, which she said, and I want to get your take on this, Andrew, so please be listening. She said, our rent is below the market. We haven't reviewed it since we rented it out in 2019, so two years ago. I wanted to increase it recently, but my property manager advised against it due to COVID impact on tenants, even though they are both working what is your suggestion now I've got some I've got I've got some quite strong thoughts about this but let's go to you first uh, I,
0: a very unpopular opinion of ours um, and when I say unpopular I mean the venture team are going to hate us for this is that sometimes property managers not not venture necessarily but just property managers in general take the path of least resistance and I think it's really important that you make your rental increases uh, steady and small and that Way it means that uh, in, uh, tenants can also afford it, and they're not faced with a hundred a hundred dollar a week uh, increase one year because you've been so behind the market. Um, I think that COVID uh, is uh, is obviously a re- very real thing, um, and if it is affecting um, your tenants, then you need to be careful about you know not putting undue pressure on people because that's not very fair. But you are running a business as well, and if it's putting undue pressure on you, you need to put that rent up. And I would, so I personally would be saying let's just work towards a $10, 20 increase if, if maybe the market is 30 so that you give a little bit um, but you take a little bit as well.
1: I think on top of that, I just encourage you, Serena, to listen to episodes 818, 19 and 20, which were just released last week. We went through exactly how to figure out what the market rent is for your property. They are really good quality couple of episodes. We just recommend that. I think being strong in rental increases is very important. And as long as long as you are accepting the risk of vacancy you're accepting the risk that your tenant might turn over, which is their prerogative. But also, you're allowed to charge the market rent. I think you've got to keep up with those market increases and being strong with the property manager on that, as long as you communicate that, hey, you're up for the risk of vacancy. Now, let's deep dive into Hamilton and the Bay of Plenty, because people have been asking about it. And we're going to go back to the OPAS website. And what I'd just say is, if you come to this learn section, you can Kind of Google slash search for anywhere you want. So let's say we look at Waikato. I'll just search for it, even though I've already got it out. This will pull up, you know, how is the Waikato property market going right now? How is Hamilton? How is Gisborne? We've got we have got sections on here for every region in New Zealand and cities. And over the COVID break, we have made some big updates. I hired somebody to help me out with this data crunching, and I just want to take you through Waikato first. So first of all, look, we've got that median house price increasing um, up to October, eight hundred five k. But what's quite cool here is we can see. Well, where are Or where is Waikato house price right now compared to to its long-term average? So Waikato as a region is about 2.5%, 2.6% above its long-term average. But what's important to note is that not everywhere in the Waikato, or Waikato, I should say, sorry, sorry, Tame, I'm terrible, um, is undervalued slash overvalued. So for instance, Um, Waikato District and South Waikato District, hugely overvalued, massively, 28%. So even though properties are very, very cheap in Tokoroa, um, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily reasonably priced compared to where we would expect them. Whereas if we look at Hamilton City, it's 2% undervalued and Matamata-Piako District is about 3% overvalued, Otorohonga is about seven percent overvalued, so it's important. I mean, this stuff is free. People just go and use it; it's there for you. Um, you're able to use it, and then also I've got well, where is most affordable? Where are cheaper properties? So Tokoroa and Waitomo, really, really cheap properties there, but not necessarily, uh, not necessarily at a good part of its property cycle. And I've also given you the population growth, and also, I mean, this is this is the crowning jewel. And Andrew, you haven't even seen this yet, you can see on our website, every suburb, every suburb in the country with what its average price has been over the long term and because this is a cluster god you'll never find anything here you can now click on these which is pretty cool and pull out you know specific suburbs so you can have Amazing. a bit of a better look this is really cool uh thank you to trisha i'm sure she's probably not on here tonight but trisha my data analyst who helps me out with these i also want to just show you bay of plenty while we're here to prove that we've got it for everywhere are plenty about four percent above its long term average there, and then also let's just have a wee look see. Uh, because you were specifically asking about Todonga there. Uh, Todonga actually only four percent overvalued. You can see here, Fakatane district, uh, four percent under, but Kawaro and Oportiki, those are the areas that are really overvalued. Kawaro in particular, uh, 32 percent overvalued. So, I mean, go use this data, people. I mean, it's they're available for free. We spend a lot of money to give it to you for free. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, It's just a beautiful thing. Merry Christmas.
0: <laughs> now I'm just going to cover three more really quick ones um, someone asked whether or not we offer a service for first home buyers yes we do so uh, we do in Auckland right now um, although uh, our Auckland uh, uh, first- home buyers advocate Samantha who's on this webinar um, uh, will help people across the country so so uh, opus first home you can look at that um, uh, someone asked the someone just put commercial units um, now I guess my answer to that is yes we we um, we don't offer any advice on commercial units at the moment but we did do a podcast which will be coming out uh, this week uh, on commercial units that we we took a look at and took a deep dive into not something that we, we again offer but um, we, we thought they'd be interesting and commercial units have got some benefits um, like interest deductibility so it might be of uh, interest to you and someone also asked will the RMA reform uh, change the market and I know we've done a podcast on that as well so there there is it's probably a good time to mention there is there's a database of 820-something podcasts now, crazily, uh, on our website, and you can actually go to the library, and if you type in things like interest only or RMA or commercial or first time, you'll find a bunch of uh, podcasts on those topics, um, so you can flick through and listen right the way back to the very first one. Are you going to show us, Ed?
1: Yeah. So if you come up here, learn to invest, go down to, I mean, look, we've got articles, we've got spreadsheets. Oh, we've got our spreadsheets. Those are bangers. Go download these. These are great. Um, podcast archive, come over here. And then what will come up is a little table. We'll just load because it uh, might be a bit slow. And then The first if we one, the first
0: one, we need to go and reverse order so no one listens to that one. It must've been terrible.
1: Oh, it probably was. Why I hear that we the first one, Andrew, people often say that we were slow and boring. <laughs> and then we, we 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 gradually became more of ourselves and became more unfiltered. <laughs> uh, well, look, let's wrap it up there. But what I just want to say is thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. And what I want to say is thank you for to every podcast listener or every YouTube subscriber who tunes in all of the time and listens along with us. And there are some uh, there are some great people out there who have had the chance to meet this year. Danny, you're out there probably still listening in tonight. Thank you so much for listening. And um, John, for instance, down in Wellington, uh, it's great to have your questions. Look, we're just so appreciative to all of you. And uh, I, I shouldn't have started naming names because there are so many of you uh, now. Yeah. Who are jo- gonna think, Manuel's going to be so- very offended. Manuel Joy, Manuel Joy, Jade from Wellington. Uh, oh, Ed, so we're going to be here yeah. all night. Oh, <laughs> Heidi, how can we forget <laughs> Heidi? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) well look we we appreciate it and mole and mole listens to everything look we're just so appreciative that you listen along we hope you guys have a great christmas break we're going to be pumping out podcasts there's still going to be one every single day throughout there we'll be back late january or early february with another webinar but we just want to say thank you so much for being a part of this community part of the opus family over the last year we really do appreciate it and uh, we hope you get a lot of value have a great christmas great new year and we'll see you soon bye now